Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. Uh, I'm John Burke, and with me this week... Corey Starr, hello, hello. Ah, she didn't say as always. And um, <laughs> this week we're going to be reviewing the film Rudderless, uh, but before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching, and then uh, do some trailer talk for movies coming out next week, um, which is the tw- 30th. It's the 30th. Wow, that's <laughs> end of June already. My summer's July. half over. Heck. All right, Corey, how you been? I, oh, are you still there? Oh, oops, oh. yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> a little technical. Hello, hello, hello. User hear. error, actually. <laughs> um, I am doing great. Uh, my family is up here visiting from Florida, and I freaking love my family so much. It's the family I married into. I also love my family, but I'm just saying um, that my husband can't go anywhere because I just love them so much. Mm. But uh, And I got to see... One of my favorite bands tonight with them. I don't think they were impressed, but that's okay. Oh. And I'm talking about Built to Spill. So is that a like a national band or is that a local band? They are okay. So they are like in the alternative music. They they're pretty. They're a big deal. They're um, they started and were popular got popular in the 90s, but they've been steadily releasing albums the whole time. But they are from Boise, so ah, okay. I love how many times I get to see them and I've gotten to see them so many times for free because they do stuff for local organizations and charities oh. and things like that. So I just love it so much. That's cool. So yeah. you guys went to like dinner and they were there or you purposely went to see them? No, um, they, tonight they were doing, um, there's a new park. It's called like whitewater park and it's on the Boise river. And, um, there are some rapids over there and they've opened a new like set up a new park there and for the women children's alliance in boise um which helps like abused women and children um get back on their feet mm. uh built to spill was the uh headliner and it was free they just were asking if you could to donate to that uh organization so we went there because there was like a food truck rally and all that and these bands playing and it was like this grand opening of this park yeah so it's pretty rad. Cool, cool, cool. Um, How are you? Uh, you know, I've been keeping busy this week. I was out of town for a few days um, with a work thing, a yearbook workshop, actually, getting our, our skills ready for next year's yearbook. And uh, my, awesome. my group of three, uh, we cool. we did place out of, there was like 35 schools that we, we won um, best marketing plan. Uh, oh. So that was pretty cool. We were excited to have won an award. Um, and uh, we, we did, you know, we had a good time. Um Learned a lot of stuff, got a lot of stuff ready for the yearbook for next year, and we're excited about that. And um, I didn't watch any movies while I was out of town, so I had to make up for it the last two days, and I watched a couple. But um, I did watch uh, the newest episode of Silicon Valley, which uh, the show keeps getting better. And I know you've started watching it. How far have you gotten? I just, um, I've been really busy this week, but um, I already told you I like binge-watched season one, and I started uh, season two last night, but I only got through one episode. But I freaking love it so much. So thank you mm-hmm. for making oh, yeah. me watch it. I want to get everyone to watch it. It's a, it's a really funny show. And granted, it is HBO, so not everyone will have access to it. But um, we are four seasons in now. With this season, has got one more episode left before it concludes. And um, so far, every season's been really solid. I mean, there's some episodes that, you know, and some of the form- – it gets a little formulaic because it is a sitcom. So some things will, like, we have to keep this group – at least somewhat together so things that look like they might go well end up not going well or things that look like they're going to go bad end up not going as bad as they looked so we can always keep the dynamic of the show flowing but they still they do some really cool stuff with it and there's new characters introduced and some characters do leave uh 
but so far it's been really great. So if you haven't watched it, I say check that out. But um, as far as movies go, uh, today I watched two. I watched Cresha, which is um, by Trey Edward Schultz, uh, who directed It Comes at Night, um, which is a movie I'm going to talk to you about in a moment. It Comes at Night, that is. And uh, Cresha is available on um, Amazon Prime. And I highly recommend uh, checking it out. Um, It's not... I wouldn't call it a must-see, and my review will come out tomorrow, um, but there's some amazing filmmaking stuff, especially if you're interested in indie small story. Uh, and I, I'm not the first. Kreisha has like an 85 on Metacritic, and it's the reason he got to make it comes at night, because A24 bought it at Cannes. Um, he did well at... He, he premiered at South by Southwest in 2015 with Kreisha, and then mm-hmm. um, he went took it to Cannes, and I think at Cannes, A24 bought it, said, we're going to get this out, but we want you to make your next movie for us. And so... Um, A24 it was, and I read an article with Trey Edward Schultz, and he's, uh, the management company he's signed with, um, because he's now one of the hottest commodity directors in the industry right now, apparently. With Um, two movies? That's all he has is two? Well, his craft is, is impressive. Not all, but I mean, that is still impressive to be that sought after with... It happens a lot with indie directors. Um, if you look like, uh, Gareth Edwards, before he did Godzilla... Um, and then now he did uh, Rogue One. Before he did those two movies, um, I think that's, I'm pretty sure I'm right. He had a small indie film called Monsters, um, and that was all he did. Uh, the guy who just did Skull Island, um, Kong Skull Island, uh, had wow. did Kings of Summer. It's a it's a trend. Uh, an indie director generally gets shoved into a big blockbuster picture immediately after their small indie film does well. And that's one of the things I was about to say about Trey Edward Schultz is, his management company immediately said, we need to get you a Marvel movie. And he said, I don't want to do a Marvel movie. And they said, okay, we'll get you a Star Wars movie. And like, look, I want to make movies that I care about, and that's it. Like, not to say he doesn't like Star Wars, not to say he doesn't like Marvel movies, but he he doesn't think he could put the time and effort into a movie that he didn't personally have some investment in. Um, and Kreisha is, uh, stars a lot of his family members, and, um, and he's actually awesome. in it as well. Um, and his, the, the, his aunt was an actress, from what I have read, um, who is named Kreisha, and she plays the title character. Oh, cool. And it's a, I don't think it's a, it's not a true story, but it is personally invested, so I don't know how much of it's based on his actual life. Uh, I know there's some elements, because he was in business school and um, dropped out to become a filmmaker, and so that's part of his character in the movie, is that he's in business school, and Kreisha is encouraging him to be a filmmaker, and he's like, what if I like business school? So he's kind of playing like an alternate, like, what if game in a way um but he's not the main character by any means Kreisha is definitely the title character and the main character um in the film and um it comes at night he wrote about uh his his biological father um he he had not been in touch with him I think for most of his life um and recently reconnected with him while he was dying from I think leukemia and if not leukemia another form of cancer and so he got to reconnect with him before he died but then um he died and the grieving process, and that's what It Comes at Night is supposed to be about, is about the grieving process and how different people grieve. And so if you have seen It Comes at Night, which Corey has, and we will discuss that momentarily, a little micro-review of It Comes at Night um, coming up momentarily, um, that's the film, much like grief, it sticks with you. Um, it you know, It's not just gone when, when it's over. It doesn't just go away. You, you kind of sit... And sometimes it's hard to stop thinking about. Um, and uh, that's what I think Trey Edward Schultz does so well, is he is able to 
craft and create not just tone inside the film, but like an empathy vibe where you will you will be a part of the the experience of the film. You will be in immersed in the mood and tone he wants you to be immersed in. And I, I for a two film director, uh, the it's insane how good he is at this. Um, I'm really excited to see what he will continue to do if he can continue to make a film where you will feel like you're in it. I mean, it's almost to the level of like a VR type experience for me, especially with Krisha. Um partly with his cinematography style in the film, but also just the sound design. Um, it's my daughter uh, didn't watch Krisha with me, but she did come. She came through like the living room while I was watching it today. And I was talking about the movie later and she was like, um, she described how like the sound in the movie just made her feel like really agitated and, and irritated and that's the scene, the scene she's discussing when she walked in the room is that's what he was going for. He wanted you to feel what Krisha was feeling, which was agitation, irritation. And um, when I was like, well, that's what he was going for. She's like, no, I know. I was just so impressed at how how quick it worked on me because like she wasn't even watching. She was just walking through and was like started to feel that like irritation and had to like look at the screen and be like, what's going on? Like and she she picked up on exactly what he was doing. But. Just how effective it is, is is really impressive. Again, for that's his first feature film, and he's immersing you into the character. I mean, when you watch some of these other... Like, I'm not opposed to Hollywood blockbusters at all. There's definitely, like, Jurassic World was announced, this, the sequel to Jurassic World was announced uh, this week, and a lot of people hated Jurassic World. I loved it. I had a great time. Yes, there's stupid stuff. Yes, Bryce Dallas Howard runs through the jungle in high heels. I don't care. Love the movie. Is it the best movie in the world? No. Did I have a good time? Yes. And some people might be doing that with this new Transformer movie that came out, which I'm hearing pretty bad things about from everyone that had seen it. But I'm not opposed to those. But these movies, these indie films that really tell a story and really you know dive into character and dive into atmosphere, I enjoy so much. And Krisha, it's the more I think about the movie, the more I'm impressed by it. Um, in fact, like. My review is going to come tomorrow, but I, I gave it a not quite golden. Oh, I'm sorry. The review will be before the podcast is released, so you will have already had the chance to read it. Uh, my review is not quite golden, and the more I'm on it, the more I'm thinking maybe it's a must see. Like you know, it, there's so much craftsmanship in that movie um, and heart that, um, yeah, it, it's it's really really impressive. And again, that's on Amazon Prime. But sorry, Corey, I didn't mean to talk so much, but I'm really obviously impressed by that film. Um, it comes at night. You saw it. What were your thoughts? I did. I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> um, first, I think that it doesn't help that everyone around me in the theater was preoccupied. What I you- think that took away. Well, there were only it was Bill and I and then six other people. But every single one of those people, including my husband, um, were very distracting at points in the movie. Somebody kept turning on their phone and you know it's bright and they're like the first people you know closest to the screen so of course it's very distracting the couple behind us were talking like the whole damn time and then yes and then the people that were a little bit in front of us oh my gosh how much do you need to rustle your popcorn bag woo like it sounded like they were like balling it up like i don't know what it was super distracting you said bill was uh... my husband was (laughs) <laughs> I'm so calling on my husband. Um, I was sure that my husband, I can tell when he's not interested in a movie. And <laughs> I knew he was not interested in this movie. Um, <laughs> I was about to take the popcorn bag away from him as well. 
Do uh, not eat your popcorn loudly, guys. I need to watch the movie. I, um, I don't understand. Like, I can see if you're not satisfied with the ending of that film. I can see um, if, like... I, I cannot see how you're not interested in what's happening in that film. Like, the, the atmosphere that he establishes in that movie is so overwhelming. And I was so pulled into that that story. Even, again, if you're not happy by the end, I get it. But the journey um, is so immersive. Like, how anyone's not in... The only the only thing, and he, Tr- Schultz has said this, too. A24 marketed it as a straight horror film. and he They did. And it's not. And he said it's not, and he never intended it to be, but they were trying to get butts in the seats. And so the downside of that is you get butts in the seat who want a specific type of horror film, because that happened to me with The Witch. I went into Same. The Witch expecting a horror movie, and it was much more psychological horror than than I was ready for, and but- not not for me. And again, I was really, the accents in that movie really distracted the crap out of me. Um, um I don't remember about the accents yeah well it's and i hadn't heard anyone else but like the the father's accent i could not understand what he was saying so i missed anything he said i had no clue what was happening which uh, um i that is and that's exactly like as i'm looking i pulled up the imdb um and i pulled up it comes at night and um like that's exactly what they did incorrectly a24 my name is Corey Starr. I'm going to school for communications, and I would really love to work for you, please. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, they, I see, I do see them doing that with, in like you said, with The Witch. And I'm trying to think about if they've done that with any other movies where, because that was A24 also, wasn't it? The Witch it was. was. Yeah, it was. But yeah, I don't think like so. Um, with their marketing other movies. them incorrectly and it's totally true like I was expecting not I don't want just like stupid jump scares but holy Jesus if any of you have not seen The Conjuring for some odd reason like that's such a great movie and it does have a couple jump scares but they're not stupid you know what I mean they are in the jump scares expertly expertly placed so it doesn't mean that it has to be stupid but i was kind of expecting more of that and with like the scenes of who we end up finding out as his grandfather i was i was definitely expecting more monster from from that yeah i was expecting more from that with as much as it took up from the trailer the name of the film and then the trailers the way the trailer was edited it made it seem like a monster movie and it it is yes it it did um, not to spoil the movie for you, but if you're going in expecting a monster movie, it is not. It is an atmospheric, thought-provoking film that ponders the idea of what happens if everything in the world suddenly is apocalyptic to some degree, whatever the reason is, and it is now about survival. Who do you trust? And they, How can you they trust They do them? a great job. And, God, I've said it so many times before, but I absolutely love movies that have to do with isolation. Yeah, and he, when they're done right, and he did a great job at that. Totally. Even like even the um, I am so bad with technical whatever, but like the scenes where they're walking down the hallway, they do such a great job just making it seem it was seemed so crowded and so mm-hmm. small and so like I felt like if anything would have happened again. Sorry for spoilers or not spoiling whatever. Um, if there was anything that would have happened in that hallway, I probably would have just died because it was just no escape. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think that he did a good job with so many things, but agreed. I went in there expecting something different completely because of all the trailers. And I was so hyped on this movie. I went in 
feeling like it could be a monster movie, but also I I think I'd read at least one review, not even the full review, just like the headline that pointed out that it was this thought provoking idea of um of like isolation and loneliness, and so or not loneliness, but uh, trust and like paranoia. That's the word I'm looking for, paranoia. And so I kind of knew I'm like okay, so the the word paranoia implies concern and anxiety over something that may or may not exist, and so. I thought maybe like there may not be a monster and in some degrees you kind of even wonder if there is an apocalypse to a certain extent in the film not to it's not a spoiler because that's not it's not a definitive answer it's just there will be open-ended questions in that movie and if you're a person who needs the movie to tell you everything you will not enjoy it and that's disappointing um, because you should not need the movie to answer all the questions sometimes and again, I am a philosopher in, in my nature, so I, I don't mind a question not being answered, um, especially if you give me information to think about. And that's what this movie does very, very well. It not only it addresses or it raises these questions inside of you um, more so than in the film. Like they don't directly say the, the things that you're going to be wondering, but um, they give you enough information where you can you can come up with answers. They may not be the right answers, but there's definitely room for you to interpret and and put your own thoughts into what is being said in the film or what message is being delivered, and it can mean a dozen different things, and that's that's great filmmaking to me. Um, you know, you're you you give you a story that's easy to follow, and yet the, there are so many threads, not loose ends, not plot holes, purposely left for you to think about, and that's. That's a film that's going to stay with you. It's a film that you... I, I've actually grown to like it more over time, just like his other film, because he does this uh, so well. And again, um, I believe he wrote this too. I, I'm not looking at the IMDb in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he wrote this film and directed it, and he did the same thing with Krisha. Yep. Um, he, uh, he's he got a really bright future, and it's uh, he's always going to be small indie film. I don't think he's... He doesn't seem interested in... Ma- like He wants to make enough money to survive. And that's in his article. These are not my assumptions. This is in the article that I read. Um, I am drawing a blank um, on the the author. I think it's from Thrillist, though, the thrillist.com. Um, so if you look up Trey Edward Schultz, Thrillist, that should be the interview um, if you're interested in reading the whole thing. But he's very, it seems like a very down-to-earth guy who really has a passion for making movies and telling stories. And so I respect that and hope he does really well. And so that's why I'm talking about both of his films real quick. Uh, the other movie I watched today, real quick, and I'll be a lot faster with this one, is Mel Brooks's um, High Anxiety, which I've never seen. Uh, it's one of the few Mel Brooks movies I've not seen. Um, and I didn't even know what it, what it was until about a month ago, um, that it's his kind of uh, spoof on Hitchcock films and Hitchcock tropes and uh, Hitchcock style. Yeah. And um, I didn't give it a like a fluid watch. Like I had it on, but I was doing other stuff while it was on. It was on like HBO or Stars or something today. And um, but I did catch some really cool like tributes to Hitchcock. You know, there's a, the sh- the iconic shower scene from Psycho is really funny. Actually, I, I loved his oh. take on it. Um, like how how he made it work and like <laughs> the the actor playing Norman Bates essentially, um, although not addressed as Norman Bates, but. He's hilarious. And then uh, there's a bird scene, which you could probably predict if you know what birds are more notorious for doing than uh, than the Hitchcock take on birds. Um, but it was still pretty funny. And uh, there's de- like the main premise of the film is definitely a spoof on Vertigo. Um, but even like little things like I've seen North by Northwest like five times now because I showed it to a couple of my classes last year. And then I went and saw it on the big screen and I also had watched it already on DVD. 
So North by Northwest, oh. I'm very familiar with right now. And um, the final scene in North by Northwest um, implies that uh, he gets married. And so it transitions from like them on Mount Rushmore about to kiss to him. I think it's about to kiss. Um, but then it transitions to them back in a train, which is where they met in the first place. And uh, the transition at the end of High Anxiety was definitely a you know play on that scene, and I thought that was so so interesting because it's such a small scene. It's like this kind of wrap up sequence, and yet there it was in High Anxiety, the transition even like the way it it was one thing, and then it transitioned to him with his bride, and it's like oh well there it is. Um, but even like the the logo is clearly a play on Vertigo. I mean it's it's tons of Hitchcock. Now the the downside is I've seen five uh, no six or seven Hitchcock films. But he's done fifty four, so like there's definitely stuff in, in high anxiety that I haven't seen. Um, you know where I'm not, I don't get the reference necessarily. Um, and then there's some that I expected to see, and I don't remember anything from Strangers on a Train, which is something I would have expected to uh, to have parodied. But it's again, I, I didn't give it a hundred percent of my attention, so it might have been there and I just missed it. But um, it's definitely one I'm going to check out again. I'm a fan of Mel Brooks's comedy, especially Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. Robin Hood Men in Tights, which might be the most underrated of the Mel Brooks comedies, and um, I do love Spaceballs because I'm a Star Wars fanatic, so how do you not, you know? Um, <clears throat> but um, have you watched any other movies, Corey, other than uh, It Comes at Night? I feel like I have, but I can't think of any. Holy heck. Well, Guys, I'm, my life has been a whirlwind this week. I'm going to give a reminder to you, because you already have this, Oops. but also to uh, the rest of the world, if you don't, and um, if this website happens to hear that I promoted them, I'd love to get a little you know cross promotion going. But uh, Letterboxd.com, if you're a big fan of movies and watching movies, um, I can't stress how cool Letterboxd is. Um, I use it mainly to keep a diary of what I'm watching, and um, it's it's always there. And it, I really like it because I can look back. Um, I started using it actively uh, really this year, but I did use it some last year. Um, I wish I used it every time last year, but. You can post reviews there. And sometimes, I usually just do ratings and um, adding movies to my watch list. Um, and I, I like to read other people's reviews, though. Uh, I kind of I follow a bunch of people. And if you join Letterboxd, uh, and it's letter, B-O-X-D, no E-E-D, just D, letterboxd.com. If you join, uh, search me up. I, I think I'm under Pagan713. Um, find me and follow me, and you can keep track of what I'm watching, uh, even when I don't talk about it on the podcast. Um with that, and if, unless Corey has remembered something she's watched. <laughs> no, sorry. Right. Worst then forever. We're going to get into our trailer talk for June, uh, it's technically June 28th and June 30th. Um, and we will start with The House. So the new Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler film um, called The House, as I said, um, which, wow, that's interesting. The second build person on this movie is Jeremy Renner. Who I did what? not see in the trailer, so that's interesting. Zero um, percent. Probably a spoiler that I just dropped. Uh, Jason Manzukis, who I am a big fan of, uh, he cracks me up in everything I've seen him in. Um, he was on Brooklyn Nine Nine for a, I haven't kept up with Brooklyn this season, but like the previous two, I think he was on um, as a recurring role, and he cracks me up. I am an Amy Poehler fan mainly from Parks and Rec. Um, I did like I thought Sisters was better than it got uh, credit for. Um, I didn't like Baby's Mama, um, from what I remember. I only watched that once, but, um, I gotta say, the house looks stupid, but really funny. And <laughs> but I, very funny. <laughs> and so I'm planning on checking it out. I am a Will Ferrell fan, uh, normally, so, 
I'm I'm kind of in. What are your thoughts? I also love Amy Poehler so much. And also, shout out in case any of you guys haven't ever heard of it. She has an organization called Smart Girls that I may have talked about before. But I love it so much. I love her. I love a lot of what she, uh, you know, pushes uh, and yep. talks about. So um, it does look incredibly stupid. Yeah. Um, and I love the scene where they try to stop the bleeding with a croc. Yeah, we, we did watch, uh, and what will be on our website is the Red Band trailer. So I had not seen the Red Band trailer. Um, Lots of F-bombs. Yeah, it's going to be, it's in our movie for sure. Um, and uh, the if you haven't seen the trailer, you can watch it on our website. But the premise basically is, in order to raise money for their daughter to go to college, they start a casino, an illegal casino, um, and hence the name of the house. And... Uh, it, it again it looks stupid like the premise is even stupid but it looks hilarious and also can we talk about something really quick because i'm like looking at them like build this business and i'm thinking that they put a lot more than the fifty thousand dollars it would cost to send their daughter to school into the business <laughs> possibly although but what do i know it's illegal and so there's a chance that this guy's like fronted all of this um it's hard mm. to tell jason manzoukas looks to be their friend but like he's definitely got like some connections to some illegal activity because he's way too equipped for this but again it's a stupid comedy so it definitely Word. defeats the premise um the regular trailer there's a scene where they're at the bank and like um they're like what are you talking about we have 401 dollars. it says so right here and she's like that's a 401k and it, <laughs> Again, it, it's stupid, but it's if you like Will Ferrell comedy, it's probably going to be funny. Um, Amy Poehler, uh, I don't know. I hope it's going to be good because I, I want her to have a, a movie career. Um, and her movies have been kind of misses for the most part, at least in the box office. I don't think any of them have been super successful. Um, obviously, she's in Mean Girls, but Mean Girls really, I think, found legs after the movie um, was in theaters. I think it did much better at the home box office, uh, or not the home box office, but... Um, the DVD and, and now Blu-ray, but um, she's obviously not a major character in Mean Girls, though. She is, you know, a minor character who's funny. Um, her role in the movie is definitely funny, but I'd love to see this movie do well, but uh, the comedies in the summers have not been doing very great. We've Baywatch bombed, Rough Nights bombing oh. at the box office, um, and so this is the third big comedy coming out this summer, and I don't know if it's got... It's competing with quite a bit um, of other stuff, but it's good counter-programming. There's really not another adult comedy out um, next week. Again, Rough Night came out last week. Um, well, two weeks ago, technically, from this, the release of this episode. And it's not doing well, so odds are it will be out of the theater for the ho for House instead. Um, and then, I don't know, hopefully it can get a, li a little bit of business. Maybe do better than the other two have done. Um all right, we're going to move to our next trailer. I think Corey and I are both in on the house. Um, I'm definitely going to see it in the theater. I, I'm guessing it's more of a you'll wait and see. Yeah, probably. All right, so let's get to our next film. So Despicable Me 3 um, is coming out. Now, I have seen the first one. I think I've seen most of the second one, but I did not watch that one uh, all the way. I did go to the theater, and I contributed to the $500 million plus million that the Minions made. Um took my daughter and her friend a couple years ago and uh i don't know i will see despicable me 3 probably but it, i'm not particularly excited about it um i do feel like the minions while cute and kind of funny have run run its course but as a greedy element i hope this movie makes like a billion dollars because it is my fantasy pick number two 
for our top five movie fantasy summer draft. Um, and so I need this movie to do well because I'm not sure if Cars 3 is going to have the legs that I need it to have in order to be worth my time. Um, so I need this movie to do well. So hopefully it does what Minions did. Um, and actually all of their movies have done pretty well. Um, it's, it does have Trey Parker from South Park, which is interesting. Um, and also a real ballsy move to use an Eminem song for a PG-rated uh, film. I, mm-hmm. So, um, Corey, have you seen any of these? I saw the first Despicable Me in theaters and was not impressed, and that's where I left that franchise. Well, I see, I found the first one to be a little endearing. Um, I, I definitely get attached to, uh, like, stepfather stories, um, you know, where a character takes on being takes on the role of being a parent um especially when they are um like it starts off where he's using it as an advantage for himself but by the end of the film you know finds that he really cares about these kids and i i attach to that very easily it it is a it is a weak spot if a movie you know plays on that um really the idea of family because my family situation has never been um simple and so uh surrogate families especially like when it's you know the the character has either lost their family or has never had a family and is not necessarily being adopted but you know is taken in or un- put under the wing you know mentor type movies like the Karate Kid Mr Miyagi kind of becomes the father to Daniel Larusa and that is something I connect with a lot um and so this that's how Despicable Me One got me uh, more than anything is I really found it endearing and um you know this jerk of a guy. Uh, not to mention, he's one of the few people I can cosplay as because I am bald and chunky. So, um, on that note, I'm not a big Steve Carell comedy fan, which is, of course, most people think of Steve Carell as funny. I generally dislike his comedies. Um, I know you don't like him in The Office, but I think he's so funny. Th- I think I've probably oversold my dislike for him. I like him at times. He is intentionally annoying. That's the character supposed yeah. to be. And I don't like that. <laughs> Um, but I, I don't think that he's a bad, like, performance or anything. And even, like, in the movies that he's done that I've seen comedy-wise, I don't think he does a bad job. I just like him more when he's a jerk in the movies. Like, in The Way, Way Back, he plays a jerk stepfather. He's he's really good at that. Um, or when he's not a jerk, like Dan in Real Life. I do, or the more dramatic roles where he's the, uh, the underdog, essentially. And it's not necessarily the underdog who's going to have goofy moments that you know, of triumph. But I also liked him in Bruce Almighty when he, excuse me, he plays Evan Baxter in the uh, rival to Jim Carrey's character. Um, one of my favorite scenes in that movie. And I love him as Brick in Anchorman. Um, but uh, both Anchorman, to be honest, um, one and two. And then I, I really hated Date Night. I, I don't even think I made it through the whole movie. Okay. And when you're giving me a, uh, oh my gosh, Tina Fey and Dave, uh, sorry, Steve, Steve Carell in the same, Dave Carell, <laughs> Steve Carell in the same movie, I have really high expectations because I do find both of them hilarious, and that was so dumb. I, yeah. I was, and I'm a big, I, I'm a Tina Fey supporter more than I am a Steve Carell comedy supporter. Um, it's kind of funny because I'm, Ben Stiller and Steve Carell are kind of on the same spectrum for me when it comes to comedy. I don't generally like them in the lead role in the comedy. I like them as side characters. Like Dodgeball, Ben Stiller is hilarious. Um, but any, pretty much every main comedic film, with the exception of Something About Mary, um, which even in that film, his comedy, he's playing very straight. And the comedy's happening to him rather than him being you know, like the performance. Um, 
but I like Stiller in the more dramatic movies. Like I like him in Reality Bites, and I really like him in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, both directed by Ben Stiller. Um, and I like Carell in those roles. But Despicable Me, because it's just his voice, it doesn't bother me quite as much. Um, but the, yeah, it's it's got some cheese, cheesy, cheesy moments. But it works for kids, obviously, um, quite well. My friend, obviously, ha- yeah. And my friend has a three-year-old. I'm thinking he's three. Now I'm not sure. It might be two. Um, who's a big Minions fan. Like, the kid just like, Minions? 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 And um, it's cute and it's adorable, and yet the Minions, you're like, oh, but are you dumbing down our culture? Like, they speak, like, five different languages jumbled into one. Like, I don't know. Don't worry. The internet's got that covered. Yeah. But, anyways, that's uh, Despicable Me 3. Corey, uh, not interested, correct? Zero percent. And I will see it probably, but um, I'm really just hoping it does well enough for to help me with the fantasy draft. All right, now for the main attraction for this week. Baby Driver might be my most anticipated movie of all time. Like, I don't think I've ever been as excited as I am for this. And I went to Star Wars Episode Seven on premiere night. I had bought my tickets four or five months. Like, the day they went on sale, I pre-ordered my tickets, and I had to wait like hours online just to do it because the sites were crashing because every Star That's Wars right. and I still got my tickets that night like I was that excited about Star Wars and I am more excited about Baby Driver um, let me explain something to the listener if you have not listened to top five movies much Edgar Wright is my favorite director there is no other director who's ever made a movie that has felt more like he got into my brain and pulled out everything I love and then shoved it into multiple films I hit Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is my all-time favorite movie right now. There is not a movie better for me than Scott Pilgrim. And I'm not saying it's the best movie, but it is my favorite movie. Everything about Scott Pilgrim works for me. The martial arts, the, his, even, his girlfriend Knives talks about being in yearbook club, guys. This, it's like he is making movies for me. <laughs> and that, then World's End, then Hot Fuzz, then Shaun of the Dead. I love all three of those. It's hard to put them in order, but that is the order that... I love them, which is opposite of how they were released. And it's only because I think Edgar Wright's style and voice becomes more prominent the the more films he does. Now, that's the only thing I hate about him being my favorite director is that he's only got four films. And here comes number five. Um, And the hype about it, I'm so worried that it's overhyped and I'm so worried. But at the same time, I love every second of the trailers. I love that he wrote the, he he wouldn't write a scene until he had the perfect song picked out for it. I love this idea of using music um and like even like the campiness of it. Like there's John Bernthal, Kevin Spacey, John Hamm who if you're not familiar with John, uh, John Hamm, he is a, a hilarious actor and Jamie Foxx looks to be giving one of his coolest performances I've seen in a long time. Like he just looks so comfortable in the role he's playing, especially in the new trailer. Um, and then uh, I have not seen Ansel Elgore in anything, but I'm a huge fan of Lily James. Um, if you didn't see the live-action Cinderella, I do recommend it. And more so, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is a fun freaking movie. Like, it didn't get hardly any love when it came out, but my daughter and I went and saw it, and we had a blast. We thought, like, the zombies look eh, but it's a silly, fun movie. Like, if you go in with low expectations, don't go in expecting some revolutionary film, but it's Cinematic. a fun fun experience at the movie and she is great and so like when i found out she was going to be the lead in it i was just like okay you know you're 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 making this very appealing um and the trailers look fantastic i i am 
obviously overjoyed. I cannot wait. I will probably see this in the theater at least twice, maybe more. If I love it as much as I'm expecting, it might be my highest in the theater. Like, Take I, uh, my money. Yeah, I am so pumped. Edgar Wright, I wish, wish you would talk to me. Uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I feel like we're kindred spirits. And, um, you know, I feel that way with, with a few people, uh, a couple who actually ha- I have spoken to, not as much as I want, but David Bax and Tyler um, from uh, Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension. I feel like we're, we're and not, we're like the same age too. So I feel like we were, if we were born in the same city, they'd be my friend group. And it sucks that they live in LA and I live here because it's like, I need more friends who love movies like I love movies. Um, and then Edgar Wright and honestly Simon Pegg and Nick Frost too. I just feel like those guys uh, should be hanging out with me or more so I should be hanging out with them. But I will settle for seeing Baby Driver in the theater as many times as I can. Um, and I really hope that the rumors about a new Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, and Nick Frost collaboration is true. Um, although I kind of hope it's not Hot Fuzz 2 because that has been a rumor. And while I love Hot Fuzz, I kind of like that his movies don't have sequels, and I I would prefer that they don't do a second one. I don't want anything to tarnish these, because to me, they're all perfect. Like, I love everything he's done, um, including Spaced. Like, I am a purist here, guys. I've seen Spaced, too. Uh, Not two, but I've seen Spaced. I've even watched the trailer that he did for the uh, Grindhouse films. So, like, I don't think I've missed anything that's available for me to watch. So... Edgar Wright, Baby Driver, coming out on Wednesday, uh, the 28th, instead of uh, Friday. So we saved it for last, even though it's the first one that will be available in theaters. I will be at my local theater Tuesday night um, watching it for the first time, and I will probably see it at least one more time in the theater, especially if it ends up in any IMAX-type screens. I don't think it's going to, though. Um, It is a smaller, low-budget film. It was not filmed in IMAX, but I could see this movie being really cool on a big screen because of all the the car chasing. But... um, yeah, that's uh, that's trailer talk for this week. Um, oh, you hold on. We've got to stop for a second because <laughs> you are so hyped on this movie that you didn't even ask me. I I don't I don't. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're totally fine, but that's never happened before. Um, I want to jump in here too. I am obviously. I don't think that my excitement holds a candle to your excitement, but I am super freaking excited about this movie. I've been telling Bill for months that we are going to go see this, that this is one he can't get out of, so don't even try. Um, I really want this soundtrack. I Also, he did a one, it was about an hour show on Sirius XM, and yesterday was the first time that I heard it, and I didn't get to hear the whole thing, but I heard a good bit of it, and it just, like, he's hilarious. It's called yeah. Right Here, Right Now, if you guys can check it out, I don't know how it would be available, but um, he's like, this is a movie for music lovers. And if it wasn't already like, holy hell, take all my money. Um, and I want the soundtrack. I haven't even seen the movie yet, and I want the soundtrack. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it just looks so great. Yeah. And I love John Hamm. I love John Hamm <laughs> so much. And Kevin Spacey, I think that this one is going to be a lot of fun. And yeah. I totally agree with you. I wish that it was going to be available in IMAX because I – agree also with all the car scenes that would probably be amazing i think so and um you reminded me uh this is a movie that premiered at south by southwest a few months ago i when i heard it was premiering i contemplated the drive like i'm like it's a 10 hour drive if i that's it from here to austin texas it's like it might be 12 hours because austin's a little down south um i i contemplated doing the drive 
and even though knowing that odds of me getting in to see it were was unlikely because it was going to be crowded and i heard a lot of people that were there didn't get in um but i was like the fact that he was going to be there and it was premiering that close to me i was like god i should really make an effort to do this i didn't because i i logistically didn't have the money to do that but I, I for real was trying to find like I think I even talked to uh, Mike Sanchez about it like come on let's go and he was like are you serious I'm like yeah I am serious and then he was like I don't think I can I'm like yeah you're probably right but uh, but also like you've said and this is something that uh, makes me nervous even with like we do Tree Fort Music Fest around Boise and even if you buy a pass or the tickets you are not guaranteed admission yeah. so to me that's like what's the point because i would rather go to a smaller venue or to a smaller whatever and be guaranteed access yeah for something that i'm paying for anyways and you can see it more than once I mean, but i agree that would probably be a really fun yeah if i if i was already at south by southwest i would have definitely you know gone to try to get into the premiere oh but and um, I've been wanting to go for years. Yeah, it's but. some. It's that and uh, and Sun uh, Sundance are two of my things I have to do, hopefully sooner than later. Um, but all right, sorry, we are forty minutes into the We're show and we need to get into uh, the film for the week, which is Rudderless. Um, which I am neglecting my duties and don't have it pulled up on IMDb. But I'm in the process. Um, before we get in, before we get into uh spoilers and stuff we we're going to just talk about the film kind of in, in general um it is uh, from 2014 um has a 52 metacritic a 75 uh user rating um stars uh, some really great people billy crudup um who i sat near at a the florida film festival during a screening of jesus's son um mike miles heiser is josh um alexandra lovelace is mary beth i don't know who that is um scrolling a supported down. one um, scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Um, I think the, Emily is his is Billy Crudup's ex wife, uh, Felicity Huffman, Selena Gomez, and more importantly, Anton Yelchin, who's still not. This is in, by appearance. Um, man, he's way down on the list. There's a lot of characters before him. Um, it's it's the directorial debut of William H Macy, uh, and. The IMDb plot summary says a grieving father in a downward spiral stumbles across a box of his recently deceased son's demo tapes and lyrics. Shocked by the discovery of his unknown talent, he forms a band in the hope of finding some catharsis. Um, and so this is a music-heavy movie, which I definitely have a bias towards. Um, by My music background uh, generally makes me enjoy films, especially if I like the music in the film. Um, which I have to say, I immediately after the film was over, added the soundtrack to my playlist of soundtracks. Um, that includes such greats from uh, Once, Sing Street, La La Land, Moana, um, and and uh, honestly, Pitch Perfect 1 and 2. But um, I like the songs in this quite a bit, so I did add them to my, uh, my playlist. Um, but let's get some overall uh, thoughts on the film. Corey, what was your kind of overall takeaway without spoilers? Oh, damn. Snap. All I can think of is unexpected boom okay um i uh i won i really like the performances um from anton yelchin and billy crudup actually i i don't know how many of his films i've seen i know i saw 20th century women last year um i saw jesus's son i saw um uh, alien covenant recently and i always forget he's dr manhattan in the watchman i've seen that I, i've seen almost famous russell ham i've seen a lot of his performances and i keep forgetting because he's uh, a lot of these he's in deep character where you he's almost unrecognizable. Um, 
Russell Hammond, like, you can see him once you say it, but when I, whenever I think of the character, I don't think of Billy Crudup. I think of Russell Hammond, you know? He's a golden god. Um, and, uh, oh, that's right. He's playing Henry Allen in Justice League this year, which is uh, Barry Allen's father. Um, so that's interesting. In fact, that's very interesting because he's supposed to be in jail. Um, I didn't see Jackie yet. He's in that. Uh, he's in Spotlight, but I don't remember who he was in Spotlight, but I love that movie. Um, that he's in so much stuff that I love, but, uh, I really loved him in this. Um, I loved his, his character, um, the way he presented his character. Uh, there's this like air of comedy about him. Even when he's at his worst, he still kind of has this like snarky confidence that I really, really was attached to, um, and found endearing despite his many flaws. Um, and Anton Yelchin, uh, which I just realized too, by the way, that it was almost exactly a year ago that he passed away. Um, yep. because it was, I think this week last year that I was in Boston and I was in the airport about to get on my plane to go to Boston when the announcement came out that he had died. And I was still, uh, on a huge high from seeing green room. And so I was devastated when I saw the message that he had died. Like I loved Anton in that movie. And I think other than the Star Trek films, that was the only movies I'd seen with him in it. Um, and since then, I've seen most of his movies. I still have not watched Alpha Dogs all the way. I started to watch Alpha Dogs on my way home um, from Boston on the plane and quickly realized that that was not an appropriate movie to watch around other people. So <laughs> I have not <laughs> I've not gone back to it yet. Um, and uh, I'm going to, though, because one of my seniors recommended it for the summer, which is, in fact, how we ended up watching Rudderless. One of my students uh, early in my movie challenge had said something about this movie to me. And she, um, I never got to it. It wasn't on Netflix anymore, so I had no easy access to it. And she, uh, when I gave my seniors a chance to recommend a film, she immediately, Rudderless was the first one she wrote down. And so I added it to my list. And um, knowing that Corey's a fan of Anton, and I think you're a fan of Billy Crudup, um, I, I was I like, hadn't, let's put this I hadn't. Yeah, I hadn't realized how many of those films that i've seen with him in it too he's a really good character actor when he's in that character he is almost and invisible every time you talk about him until the day that i die i'm just gonna die because I, until i die huh, that uh, sideways picture you snapped yep the instagram Gosh. photo of me um like trying to be sly <laughs> <laughs> just I'm sure he was like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> I, I didn't, I held it at my, like, it's on my leg. Like I'm aiming with the corner of my eye. I didn't think I, I didn't <laughs> I think I looked it. at the phone. I was just like, this should be about right. Click. Looked at the phone. <laughs> I love it. Um, Cause I didn't want him to like, like no pictures or anything. And I didn't want to get in trouble. Um, and you're not really supposed to take pictures when you're watching a movie anyways. Um, but he was, it was literally one seat between us and, I was ecstatic when he came back there. And in fact, we were sitting there because our mutual show, friend of the show, Brendan, said a lot of times the movie, the people that are here to do the Q&A will sit back here. So let's sit back here. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, but Leah Thompson didn't do that because I had just seen Leah Thompson like the week, like four days before that. And sure enough, Billy Crudup comes out and then he sits two seats away from me. And I'm like, oh my God. The guy on the screen is right next to me. Um, I, I really wish I'd reached over and said something to him, but I was too too shy. And also, I'm very considerate of people, and I don't want to bother the celebrity because obviously most people would want to talk to him. And I was just like, that's not cool. I don't want to interrupt. He's obviously sitting in the back of the room and came out during the movie rather than beginning of the movie so people wouldn't notice him. Um, so I'm not going to be that guy. And I wasn't. But I did take a picture and post it on my Instagram. Um, I'll be that girl. I'm sorry, celebrities. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would if it were Edgar Wright. I would he would probably have security remove me. So, um, oh gosh, unless he Get felt the connection between us. Um, I think he would know. There, like I would just be like spaced. Be like, leave me alone. Like, He'd yes, be sir. like fist bump. Sorry, sir. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but all right, so. Rudderless. We're gonna get into uh, talking about the plot and all the spoilers. Uh, but before we do that, I commented on my the. I really like the performances. I really like the music. You haven't really said anything, Corey. Did you like or dislike this stuff? Um, I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting. Because let's get real. Uh, that synopsis sounds a little cheesy to me. See, I don't. I don't Sorry, find things cheesy. I don't know what it is with me and these these premises. Um, I don't find a lot of stuff as cheesy as other people. I, I guess I need... I'm like... Oh, no, no. <laughs> you go ahead and then I'll talk. I, I need um, hope. I am a cynical person. And so the idea that, um, you know, this tragic incident would happen and you would find a connection afterwards um, and and then explore it. Like, I get that. Like, um, my music career was predominantly driven by a hatred I had for my father who left me when I was two. And while I didn't truly have an understanding of why or anything, it fueled me. And I, all I really knew was my dad was a musician and he left my mom to pursue being a musician. And to my knowledge, had never made it. You know, I'd never heard about him. I never saw him on MTV or never had his album. And so I was going to become a famous musician to show him up. That was my driving force. That's what pushed me, and I think that mindset. Um, it was it, it was cathartic for me because you know becoming a musician was not easy for me. I'm not a naturally talented musician. Everything I did, I worked really hard, and I'm still mediocre, mind you. And I want to push that a lot. Like I'm I'm a solid bass player. I'm a decent guitar player, and that's with a lot of effort. Um, you know, and while I had some successes, I didn't go as far as I thought. But I met my dad and. All that anger went away, and so did my drive to be a musician, because that was literally my driving force that whole time. I didn't even realize it. It wasn't until it went away and I started asking myself, why don't I want to play music anymore, that I realized it. And so a premise like this is understandable, it's relatable, and it's um, it's kind of, it's not exactly what I did, because my dad wasn't dead, but I didn't know my dad, and I used music as my way of dealing with those issues. Um, and so I can see, you know, you're spiraling. You find out that your son um, was a musician, and that we we see a picture early on uh, indicating that they he played guitar with his son. So it's not like he learned to play. He was a musician already, at least as a casual musician, um, and uh, talented enough to learn these songs by ear, mind you, too, um, in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... It's a premise that while I can see it being um, melodramatic, maybe, um, to a degree, it, it works <laughs> for me in a lot of ways. And especially because I do believe in the power of music. Like, I, I think music is one of the most um, powerful tools at our disposal. Almost as powerful. Honestly, I, as much as I love film, music might be more powerful. It's more universal. Um, and again... I can't imagine a movie without music. Um, music helps make uh, sound in general, but music in particular really helps set the atmosphere and the tone and the mood that a, a director or artist is trying to convey in their film. And so, it, you know, when a movie is about a musician, I tend to attach myself to it. Um, Sing Street was one of my favorite films from last year. 
um, as a result of that. I, I love Almost Famous, even though I think there are flaws with the storytelling to some degree. Um, it's a it's a movie that I'll always have fond memories of. Um, Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg, which I know is not a great movie, but I love it. And The, the Rocker with Rain Wilson and Emma Stone and Josh Gad um, and Tony Geiger, who is not an actor but a musician. I love that movie. I think it's hilarious and it's it's fun and endearing. And I again, I connect to it. And um, even you know, La La Land, R- Ryan Gosling's character being so passionate about jazz and how it drives him. Those are things that I connect to um, a lot. And Rudderless had enough of that that I really enjoyed the movie. But what was uh, what were you going to say? I thought that it would be a hard sell without. I thought it was going to be hard to sell that story effectively and your use of the word melodramatic because I don't usually tend to like things like that. I don't need people to like slather it on to try to like make me feel a certain way, I guess. I don't know. Mm. I feel like it could be a tough sell. Well, um, so but guys, it wasn't. All right. Well, we're going to get into the spoilers where we'll talk about the uh, the details of the, the plot. Um, the plot twist, and we do, there's no real, like, rhyme or reason to when we discuss it. Um, so, with that, Corey? da 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 dum Guys, we're going to talk about this movie probably in some great detail. If you don't want it, blah, blah, blah. If you don't want it to be ruined or spoiled, go watch it. It is on Amazon. Where? I don't know. It's um, not free to stream anywhere, but you can buy and or rent it um, for many for like services. three or four bucks. Yep. I, Do it. It's worth your time. I bought it on Vudu for six ninety nine. I think I don't know if it's still on sale, but um, that was the HDX full the full HD uh, digital copy for seven bucks. So, um, dang. Um, that said, right away I'm gonna get into the biggest spoiler of this film <gasps> first. I was pretty sure the kid was the killer. I okay. I'm trying to fix my headphones. Um, I. Thinking about it, once we do find out for sure, I should have definitely seen it coming from a million miles away, but I didn't. Now, just to uh, help the audience, maybe you chose not to watch the movie and you're just listening and you're like, what the crap? There's a killer? Yes. So we it says in the plot summary that uh, he's dealing with the death of his son. Now, it's a really uh, sad setup. The dad, uh, at the beginning of the movie, Billy Crudup, um, he is a ad executive for a very small advertising company. He lands a really big deal, and he calls his son, who's in college, and tells him to meet him for dinner. And the kid's like, but I have class. And he's like, skip it. And he's like, you're not supposed to tell me to skip it. It's a very kind of cute father-son, you know, little banter. I love when he's like, I pay for it, so I'm telling you to skip it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, the kid says, you know, we see him hang up the phone, look to, like, the bell tower, look at his... I think he looks at his phone again or like, kind of looks, like, the other direction and then goes to, like, the bell tower. And we then cut to Billy Crudup, who's at a bar, um, clearly having already ate. His plate is empty. He pays his bill. And uh, he's on the phone with his... He calls his son, leaves a voicemail, like, hey, you ditched me. That's not cool. But, you know, he's not mad. It's, like, still kind of playful. Just like, I understand. It's fine. Um, call me back. And as he gets up to leave the bar, there is a... I'll uh, see you soon. Yeah, see you soon. And then on the screen, on one of the TVs at the sports bar, is a school shooting at the college. And then we cut to the funeral. And um, there's definitely a a hint that there's more to it, but not clear. The news are following him, but the news would be following, you know, potentially, I guess, anyone. But the fact that the news... That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 
the fact that the paparazzi was so after him, like they were, you know, stalking him kind of, um, implies... Calling him to the liquor store. Yeah, it, it implies that there is way more um, going on. Now, this is William H. Macy's directorial debut. William H. Macy's most known as an actor, um, and I do like him in a lot of stuff, especially Fargo, um, the, sh- the movie, not the show. And, um, you know, he's in a really cheesy comedy with uh, Matt, uh, Martin Lawrence and Tim... Alan and John Travolta, uh, Wild Hogs, I think. Um, it's a, the motorcycle movie. Yeah, um, yeah, that movie was silly, but I did laugh at quite a bit of it when I saw it. And um, I really thought he did some really cool stuff in this movie, particularly uh, the transition when we see Billy Crudup's character um, start to spiral because we see him like go home and he throws a microwave pizza in the microwave and he gets a drink and he sits down and then we get a close up of the microwave like ding. And when he opens the microwave, it's not a pizza. It's like a microwavable dinner. And the camera pulls back, and we see that time has passed. And his house that was pristine and very clean has now is covered with like old food packages and like empty glasses. And the wreck. You see that we don't know exactly how long has passed right then, but that he is not doing well with the loss of his son. And um, the time passage in this film is not initially told to you but it's you you get it through exposition um we find out that when we see him now living on a boat um and he's a painter uh not an ad executive anymore and um he looks pretty rough and he's he's clearly drinking still a lot and we find out it's been like two and a half years since the incident and through the course of the film we do find out that it was josh who was the shooter um and uh i like the movie doesn't does it's a it's interesting to I don't think I've seen another film where they posit the uh, the parents dealing with their son being a school shooter. Like, I don't think there's another movie like that. I've not seen it. It might exist. Um, but it's an interesting way of framing a movie. Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, I totally agree with that. Um, because I think that a lot of people won't think about their grieving process, too. Um Obviously, they've lost their son, and their son has done something horrible, and they're trying to deal with that, too. Um, I thought they did a really good job, um, like, illustrating the difference between he and his ex-wife and how they're each dealing with it. And also, as if their relationship wasn't strained enough, because obviously, they are not married anymore. And they were divorced Um, before. um, Yeah, before. So, obviously, it was our, I would bet a million dollars, already a strained relationship, and now this on top of it also, and he's kind of ran away from his life and he's hard to find. And, um, he's not even able to make it to his job as a house painter on time. He, um, I thought, uh, I thought it was very interesting, like seeing that she was, I know that she was dealing and people grieve in their own ways and people deal with situations in their own ways. But I liked that kind of seeing not necessarily side by side because she obviously didn't get as much screen time as him, but seeing that kind of comparison and contrast. Well, and um, even the, uh, the idea that like this kid is looked at and it's one of those things I always feel really uncomfortable talking about this because it's hard to say anything nice about a school shooter. Um, you know, when they do something this awful, you you deem them monsters. You deem them as if they were always this evil individual. And how did anybody not know? And if you think back to any of the school shootings, you always hear, like, these people come out of the woodwork talking about how crazy they were. I knew they were going to do something. You know, like, there's always those people. 
But from what we saw about this kid's background, which we don't get a whole lot, but just like uh, we see him recording his songs beforehand. Yes, he was troubled, but there doesn't really seem to be a reason why. Like, yeah, his parents were divorced, but they seem like they're both functional at the time before he kills people. You know, like they both have good jobs, it looks like. They have nice houses. It's not until after he goes crazy that we see uh, his father spiral out. But we don't know, like, was he a bad dad? And there's a few moments where it's discussed, and it sounds like no. It sounds like they did their best, and he just was messed up. And, again, we don't get a whole lot. And that's I think that's intentional. It's not a, it's not a plot hole. It's when something like this happens, a lot of times people are left wondering. Why did they do this? What was their motivation? What triggered this? You know, and the parents. What did I do wrong? Yeah, was there anything we could have done to stop this? Only imagine. And and that's the the, it's in the movie. It's not the centerpiece of the film because it's really about the dad and him dealing with the loss, not just the loss of his son, but with the weight of what his son did. Like he feels the guilt, as if that that question that's never really said in the movie but what if i had done something different what if i pushed him harder to come to dinner with me because if he'd come to dinner that shooting doesn't happen then at least maybe that's what he needed you know like there's all that guilt that he's dealing with um you know his son took six other lives if i'm not i think it's six other lives Um, pretty sure and like that's it's such an interesting premise and again it's not the centerpiece of the film it is the framing of the film because it's this um, sends him spiraling. This sends him out, and the way he he's able to dig himself out of this this hole he's dug himself into as a as an attempt to escape the reality of what his son did, and that he you know blames himself for a, being a failure parent, even though again it's more likely that nothing he did, it's something was just mentally wrong with his son. The son was uh, going through a breakup, which is where Selena Gomez comes into this film. Um, Were they breaking up? Uh, the song he was recording when we first meet Josh um, is "Asshole," and it's describing a breakup of a of a girl. And she, because when she comes to the funeral, she says she seems unsure of how to describe their relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is because he's now a, a murderer, and so obviously you don't want to attach yourself um, to that as if it, you're proud of it. You're like, oh, I'm the the killer's girlfriend. But it's also, I think they were having a difficulty, and I think that's what triggered him, um, potentially, what triggered his shooting. Um, we don't know that. Like, obviously, we don't see the shooting. The shooting is done off screen. Um, there's a lot, again, left to the imagination. And I think that, again, I've we've lived through far too many school shootings um, in our lifetime. Uh, going back to Columbine, um, you know, I was in high school when Columbine happened, and I had you know, some major policy changes as a result of the shooting at Columbine um, and tons of bomb threats at our school weeks after Columbine. Um, and it was, it was some scary times. And then, you know, we've seen Sandy Hook. Um, we've seen multiple college shootings. It's, it's horrible. The amount of school shootings that we've seen in our time. And as a teacher, it, it terrifies me every day. Um, I can't, but um I think every time one of those has happened, it's a series of questions. And even when it's not a school shooting, when it's just a mass shooting um, or a mass killing, you're often the the killer is kills themselves or is taken out by police. And so you don't have the opportunity to hear their story or get answers to questions that you want to know. And that's how this film frames it. And um, honestly, I thought we were going to see a suicide. Like when we see him recording the song and the guy walks in the room and he gets really mad. Um, that he interrupted his recording. 
I was expecting to like him to kill himself. And so when it went that way, I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting a school shooting. No, I wasn't expect with that, like that exchange. I wasn't really expecting much at all, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it was and- showing that he's just fed up. Like that was, I think, that scene. Um, I kind of felt like that scene was unnecessary. Um for two reasons one is it like you it doesn't give us a whole lot it's not a it's not an overly dramatic scene it doesn't appear like he's being like bullied or anything like that um yeah he's just annoyed that he it, 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 it seems to me that he's annoyed that he doesn't have privacy because he shares a dorm room with this guy that obviously seems pretty popular because here's this guy in a letterman jacket hey we're so and so so I feel like he probably gets bothered a lot yeah. and the song I think is supposed to give us more exposition that he's going through something. Because, like, he's calling himself an asshole and he's saying these things about his girlfriend. Which is super weird, too, because she even says to both of them that he was always really sweet to her. Well, writing a song in private and singing it isn't the same as, like, being an asshole. And, again, I think there's, obviously, we're supposed to get that he has some kind of psychological problems. So his view of how people perceive him is probably twisted and not not actual. Um, and maybe why he acts out in the way he does. It's hard to tell for sure exactly. Uh, but my biggest thing is uh, we see the scene, I think, to establish that. Like, we get exposition from the song, but I also think it's establishing that he has these CDs in the songbook um, because we know it's going to come back later. Like, at some point, his dad's going to find it. Even if you read the premise, you know that. Um, and I kind of felt like that part is, like, it didn't need to be there. I would have almost felt like the movie was more powerful had we discovered this talent with the dad rather than waiting for him to find it. Um, the dramatic irony of the whole thing. Um, not sure, but it seems to me like it would have been cool to discover that with him um, as we see him spiral. Cause he is our main character. There's no flashbacks with Josh. Like we don't see Josh recording these songs. We meet Josh at the beginning of the movie. We see him on the phone with his dad one time and then he's gone. Um, and, the story is very heavy on Billy Crudup and then the relationship he builds with Anton Yelchin, who plays Quentin, um, who is uh, at the bar the first night he sings um, an open mic night. He sings one of his son's songs, which he doesn't tell anybody. It's a son's song. And he's not marketing that I'm the dad of the guy who shot a bunch of kids like he's not doing that understandably so and more so he's hiding because of it. He's left his hometown. He's quit his job. Um, he's living on a boat to avoid the reality of what his son did and um the music that they play i i find really uh interesting i love the passion that anton yelchin's character quentin has for music um that he kind of and his persistence that he refuses to let him just shrug him off because he doesn't he's not trying to start a band like that that's misleading in the plot summaries it says that he starts a band he doesn't start a band he ends up in a band like billy crudup's character uh sam has no intention of being in a band quentin sees him as a musician and wants to make him in a band because the songs are too good to not be heard. And I love that. What what were your thoughts with uh, Anton Yelchin's character, Quentin? I cried so many times. Oh, I'm sorry. In this movie. I cried so many times. Um, This was a little hard for me to watch, but I totally agree. And there is something in almost, I'm trying to think of a time that he has not been absolutely charming on screen. No way. I feel like there's there's always something about his character that is just so I don't know. Um and I feel like he's I'm trying to think has he ever been a jerk in a movie? I can't think of a time. 
the weirdest I, movie I've seen with him, I don't remember the name of, but it's got Kristen Stewart and Chris Evans in it. And Chris Evans, Chris Evans is uh, Captain America. Um, yeah. And uh, oh man, and it's also got uh, Donald Sutherland. I'm pretty sure is the old man who was Kristen Stewart's father. Um, and then I can't think of who his mom is. His mom is somebody too. Fierce people. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, that movie. He's not. A, he's not a jerk. But no, not at all. I guess. But some things happen, and he has these moments where he's kind of a jerk. But they're small and in between his normal charming character. Um, he gets mistreated pretty severely though in that movie. Um. He's a super nice guy in uh, Green Room, really. Like, considering what's going on, even, he's still, like, very timid and shy compared to the rest of his band in Green Room. Um, and then uh, 5 to 7, he's never a jerk. Um, even when he gets really hurt, he still has this charm about him. Um, bearing the X, pretty charming. He does, he does do something... The, no, no. Kind of well, he's trying to get rid of his zombie girlfriend. Yeah, it's hard to blame him for that. So, um, I just I feel like you know I feel like that just is the kind of person he probably was. Yeah, and all accounts, and that's what I've heard. And even him, everyone Chekhov, says, um, Chekhov uh, in, in Star Trek, uh, and Star Trek in the Darkness and Beyond. Um, he's so great as that character. I I'm so so sad about his young death and the freak accident that it was um i i kept waiting for it to come out that it was a hoax or like or even even that it was a murder because at least like you know i would hate for anyone to be murdered like i'm not saying that but like dying from like your jeep uh, malfunctioning is, is real yeah it just felt like it was out of a out of a movie and um if it had been like someone tried to do it at least then you're like oh okay that makes that it's not better but at least now like there's someone to blame like here you, you can blame the car company but even like it wasn't the car company didn't do it on purpose it was a freak thing with their jeeps and just a, a total tragedy um of such a, a not only it's not a tragedy because an actor who i like died but it somebody that young dying is always sad anyways and then his his success was really just starting to, to roll in um and he is a great actor and this performance is fantastic um although i gotta say the performance that i was most in like enthralled by was lawrence fishburne um it's a, really i loved his character in this movie um because i don't get to see him pl like the last time i saw lawrence fishburne uh, before I, this movie i think was in john wick 2 and i kind of didn't like him in john wick 2 um i didn't it was a very strange yeah. character i mean in that movie's the movie's an action movie and so there's the plot's weird and, and kind of i enjoyed it anyway i did yeah. too totally yeah i loved loved john wick too but i i wasn't as thrilled with Lawrence fishburne's character not even his performance just like the character they wrote i thought was kind of weird um and his performance was big but i i feel like it fit the character but um i i liked the connection that uh fishburne had he plays um a, a music store owner who's trying to sell his business and retire and he has small moments he's not in the film a lot um but when he's there i just really enjoyed his presence because there was this like <laughs> keep keep everybody at a like an arm's distance but at the same time clearly cares about all of these people um and i don't know i found something about it endearing especially the way him and uh billy crudup ended up connecting um i thought that was it, it just worked for me but you sound less impressed with lawrence fishburne <laughs> 
No, I um, <laughs> love the scene. Um, first, I love that um, apparently Quentin comes in quite often and wants A to lot. play this the, guitar that the, he just dreams of owning. The green Les um, Paul. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's pretty funny. Um, but when we find out that he's known all along who Sam is and who his son is and that he didn't treat him any differently and he still um, had that, that relationship with him, I respected that a lot. Yeah, I think that was like the part that really sold me on the character. I was already liking him but when he admitted that i was like okay that's really cool because that's not really i don't think that that obviously that's not a common occurrence no and i i I don't think it's fair like no i totally agree and that was even the way the band like reacted to him um i cut i think the point wasn't that he was the father of the guy who shot people it's that the song's I think a lot of what the lyrical content of the songs was was the kid kind of like being crazy in a way like and I I kind of want to re-listen to the songs now with that in mind um yeah. and see if there's any, like his asshole I think maybe has more in it and there's a part I think I don't remember which song he's listening to but he's trying to like write the lyrics out and he stops recording I think that was asshole though I think that was the scene we saw early in the movie and you you hear an interaction very quietly with the kid on the tape talking to someone else and Billy Crudup looks upset about it. Like he looks perturbed at what he just heard. Although well, I didn't he, go ahead. He said, I felt like what he said didn't, I mean, uh, you can't speak for someone else and knowing what happened and he knows what happened and what his son did, but I'm pretty sure that conversation was, or what he said into the microphone was like, I've got to get out of here. Yes, he did. That's right. He, that is exactly what he said. I got to get out of here. And I didn't feel like, Oh, I'm going to go out into the schoolyard and I'm going to shoot up a bunch of bitches. You know, I yeah, didn't. That's definitely not, if he had heard this before the killing, that would not have been a trigger that, Oh, he might kill people because he wants to leave yeah. school. Cause most kids want to leave school. Like few people are like, Oh, I'd like to stay here forever. You know? And I'll, I'll tell you what, at Florida Southern, which is where I went, that's on my alma mater, my first two years, I felt like an outcast with the exception of my five or six close friends. I felt like I didn't belong. Most of the kids were rich. Most of the kids had, you know, families with connections. I had none of that. And it wasn't until my junior year and my first tattoos um, that I connected with people that I was on campus with that I that weren't in my close group of friends. Um and I, I was really surprised when that happened. Actually, when I got the tattoos, I thought it would make me more of an outcast. And I don't know if it made people like question my sanity or if they were afraid of me being something awful. I hope not, because I, I would never do that. I, that was not my point here. My point was, I felt like an outcast. Never once did I contemplate anything awful. I just felt like an outcast. Like nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be my friend, except for again, I had like six or seven people that were I was friends with, but none of them were in my major, so I never saw them at, during class. It was only outside of class that I ever saw these friends, and uh, two of them were only there my freshman year because they were foreign exchange students. But um, big shout out to Steve from Northern Ireland and uh, Frederick from uh, Sweden, my homeboys back in ninth grade, or not ninth grade, um, freshman year of college, which is technically thirteenth grade. Um, but yeah, like, and that's the thing with this movie again, is I think they do a good job because you could argue, well, it doesn't make sense. Why, why did he kill those people? Yeah. That's the point that normally never makes sense. It, we it, always feel that way. Yeah, We can't wrap our head around somebody feeling the need to do something like this. 
um, you know, they've tried millions of ways. What music were they listening to? That kind of thing. And he's listening to like folky acoustic music. Well, he's playing folky acoustic music. Doesn't sound like something that would be like, he's not like death to everybody. Like he's not playing any kind of crazy over the top songs that sound like he just wants to kill people. And Selena Gomez becomes kind of this, like she is only in the film three times. Each scene is very short. Um, And she's essentially just there to one, she cries about his death because she, not because she's sad he's dead so much, I think as, She's really confused about his death and the connection to him, which apparently people really harass her where she changes her name too. It's like Sam goes into hiding, but she's changed her name and is also hiding from everybody. So somehow she's dragged into this, which I guess my theory is that they broke up and they're blaming her for him going on this shoot shooting spree. Or also any time that anything awful happens, they always try, they want to hear like first person, whatever yeah. about their relationship or like what kind of person they were. Or I don't think it would necessarily be dependent on her, but they want more information. They want inside his mind and well, things like that. One of my favorite scenes um, was a reporter at the reporter outside the liquor store. Um, asking oh, the yes. And I, he says, uh, let me ask you a question. Then he calls her like, I can't remember his exact phrasing. I thought I wrote it down, but I did not. Um, but I did write down the last part of it, which was when he's like, oh, that's not really a question. As he drives off with the reporter stunned at what he just said to her, which was something awful and some curse words. Um, and I thought that was a good point because like, she's she is going to try to frame it as the most interesting story possible because the the reporters who can get that dirt story who make these hard asking questions of like, do you feel like it's your responsibility that your son killed all these people? Like things like that get ratings. And so there are reporters out there who will say the most awful things. Uh, what was Nancy Grace? She takes the most cannot stand that woman. extreme side of a subject because it got more ratings because people either hate her and watch her to yell at their TV or they loved her and would watch in support of her, you know? And it's polar. It's polarizing, but it's, at the same time, it's effective for money and ratings. Although I think she's faded out. I think she's gone now. Um, Please. But at least I, no one talks about her anymore. I had to struggle to remember her name. But um, this film, I thought uh, Macy does a great job um, with the the montages of when time is passing. Like with the band, we see them their success. The way the songs play over, and we get like different cu- cross cuts between them at rehearsal and them on stage and them at rehearsal again but like at a different point and then them on stage with a bigger crowd and like you see that progression of the band uh, gaining uh speed which the band name is rudderless hence the name of the film um and there's two things i want to talk about with the end and then i think i'm done unless you have anything specific you want to discuss i do want to mention that i loved um even before we uh find out what that his son did this mm-hmm. i love Sam's relationship with Quentin. Yeah, I guess like, that was at where first, I was going. Oh, well, at first he like he doesn't really want a relationship. He he doesn't ever go out for beers with the guys that he works with. He doesn't ever like go out of his way to build these personal relationships and he tries to keep people at arm's length. But um I love that between them and he even starts like trying to help Quentin build his self confidence and he tries to like work him up and I did see that kinda like as a father son kind of yeah. relationship and I didn't um I don't know how to say exactly what I want to say, but um and I don't I don't know if it was because he missed his son or maybe even Quentin kinda reminded of his son with that love of music. 
oh, I don't know, but I enjoyed that. Like well, I love seeing him come out of his shell. Yeah, and yeah, seeing him start to come out of the the hole that he dug himself in, um, yeah. purposefully, mind you, it was it was intentional. But um, when when uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character Dell um, tells him like, I, I really like what you're doing for the boy that you see in his eyes that he hadn't even realized what he was doing for the boy. He had no clue that he was mm-hmm. helping him. Um, in fact, I think it was the other way around is the way he was doing. Quentin was helping him. He was feeling better, still not good, but better than he had in a couple of years. And he didn't realize that Quentin had problems. I don't think it was even clear to him that Quentin, yes, he was a little annoying and there's some very funny like lines about him talking. Um, like uh, he's talking about fishing at one point and, um, he says, uh, I imagine most activities performed in silence, uh, don't make much sense to you. I loved that little quip. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, Billy Crudup, this was, I, I, start, I don't know if I said it or not. I think this is my favorite performance I've seen him in. I love him in this movie, even though he's a tragic character, um, just the way he plays it. And when he does finally have that emotional breakdown, um, it's, he's so good. Like he, his performance is so, so good. And, um, there is this confident even like when he's at his worst there is this confidence about him but yet it's you know he hides it he shell he's covering it up but whenever you see that that part of him come back you see that confidence that he has and how he was able to make that big ad sale at the beginning of the movie because he is this really charming charismatic guy but he doesn't want to be because he feels lost he feels guilt he feels grief he feels so much negative that he's he's trying to bury the person that he was why he takes the job painting now i i I do i love the dynamic i hate i kind of hate how it goes that quentin um and the band all like turn on him without giving him a chance to kind of explain what he was doing and he to be fair he never meant it to go this far you know um they kind of he was playing songs to deal yeah they pushed him into being in the band and then it kind of got out of control. Like he didn't know they were going to end up being so successful. Also, uh, wheels on the bus was like the coolest cover yeah, ever. I love that. Um, it was so fun. Um, and, uh, I love how the band kind of slowly establishes like the drummer just happens to be on stage the first time they play together. And then how the bass players like, Oh, I just happened to see your truck. And like, it's so silly. And, and yeah, like that whole setup. And he's like, I see what you're doing here. What are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. He's the best bassist I know, and he got kicked out of this band. Uh, it was the bassist, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Uh, bassist Will, okay. I think. Um, I I loved so much about this movie. It still isn't perfect, um, and uh, I don't have I don't know what my complaints would be. I think maybe it is the melodramatic elements of it, and particularly Selena Gomez's role with it. I kind of see that's my problem with her i feel like she can't just i i don't blame i don't blame her though i blame the character um i don't think huh but every time this is the second movie i've seen her and then she goes way over the top both times see i didn't i didn't feel like she went over the top with um the we're the worst i cannot think of the name of the paul red movie oh my Um, gosh but i didn't i didn't have an issue with her at all in that movie i did have an issue with the character and not again her performance of the character fundamentals of caring so uh yes fundamentals of caring um really good movie though um my issue was that i don't think the odds of her being there to see rudderless and then showing up perfectly like when he right before sam does that was where it felt too melodramatic like 
what if Sam had just walked up and told the guys? Or what if one of them saw it on the, like, you know, saw something on the news about, like, Josh and they maybe the parents? Were, like, there would have been more believable ways for them to have found out about who he was than Selena Gomez's, like, role with it. And also for her being so vindictive um, about it. Like, because, again, yes, Josh wrote these songs, but did he write all of them? Like, none of them sounded to me, with first listen, that they were, like, his plan to kill people. And now no. he's playing them. So your only objection is that th- people are enjoying songs written by a murderer. And while I'm kind of torn on that, like, I don't know. Because that, that's a big question right now. And not even to the level of murderer. I don't know that there's a famous murderer um, who was an artist. I can't think of one. But there are tons of awful people who are artists. Roman Polanski comes to mind. Um, he, mm. he He is extradited from america he will not come back to america because if he does he goes to jail for rape yet rosemary's baby is still considered one of the greatest films of all time despite the artists attached to it and that is a common thing that has been in the discussion for a while nate parker recently um he did uh birth of a nation last year which was supposed to be this big uh, oscar movie that then this uh story of him being accused of rape while he was in college came out and his reaction to it which was very negative and he didn't want to talk about it made him look even more guilty than he was and the movie got no love because of it. it's a great movie it's a really well-made movie it tells a really interesting story based on a true story that happened during the civil, like just before the civil war times and it's it's something that people should see but didn't see because of the artist. And so it is not uncommon that artists who have troubled past can still have success and other times, again, they don't. And that's where, like, this movie kind of toys with that idea is, like, this art is great. These songs are – people love them. They get really into them. It made Quentin come out of his shell enough to approach Sam and not just approach him but stalk him, essentially, you know, like, go out of his way – to be a part of those songs and because they were written by a murderer they lose that value and that's an interesting concept and i'm not saying it's wrong but it's an interesting concept and selena gomez's character felt too much like deus ex machina for that to happen when there were other ways that it could have been revealed like again the internet exists in 2012 which i think is when the movie when the band is having success i think it's about 2012 2013 the film came out in 2014 and um they could have heard about it they could have again dell knew you you brought that it up it was early. only 2 hours away yeah. also he it wasn't like he left the country or something like um it was probable that someone would have caught on eventually and for it to be Selena Gomez felt a little too on the nose, you know, a little too scripted. And while it didn't tarnish the movie for me, if I'm going to nitpick and point out something that I think was wrong, that is where I think it was wrong more than anywhere else. Like any, almost anything else, I'm fine with all the melodrama. And if the band finds out that they've been playing songs a murderer wrote, it's hard to fault them for being upset. And... Will and the the drummer, whose name I don't remember, um, they were less upset. They were more upset at what it would do to the band than at Sam. That was the vibe I got. Like, they were mad at Sam only because if people find out, the band's not going to be liked. Yeah, I and totally agree with that. Where Quentin was, Quentin was clearly felt betrayed, um, and they were willing to still do the show. And Quentin was like, no. And I totally... that. 
makes sense to me. Quentin had a, uh, he has a troubled background. His parents had always kind of lied to him and he trusted Sam and now felt betrayed again. And so I, I can see why he walks away. Um, but I have a hard time imagining that he completely severed that whole relationship though. And that was, that's where the end is where I want to, this is where I want to end. Cause I have two questions about the end. Um, we see that uh, he gets Quentin his guitars back that Quentin had left with Dell to sell. Um, and not only does he get him his acoustic back, but he also goes and gets him the green Les Paul, which is awesome. You know, cause that's, that's probably at least a $2,000 guitar. Um, we also see that Dell has a boat, which I'm pretty sure is Sam's boat. Yeah. So here's my question. The last exchange we have with Dell, um, he says to Dell, uh, have you got any offers? And he says, yeah, I got a pretty good one. And he walks out, says goodbye, and then he pops back and he's like, how good? So my first question to you, do you think he owns the music shop now? I feel like he must because if he's getting rid of his boat, it seems like he wants to be a little more... Uh, Stable? Like, yeah, like more like rooted in that community. Yep, and we don't see that. And I kind of, I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. Only because I want to know how he's doing. And we don't really get, he's definitely doing better. <laughs> But we don't get like how much better. And I feel like if we see him at the music shop, um, we see him getting better. Like, and it's implied, right? It's heavily implied how good yeah. of an offer. The fact that he well, gets, well, like if you own the music shop, you own all the instruments inside of it. So giving the green Les Paul, yes, he technically won't make any money from it, but it doesn't cost him two thousand dollars to buy it or whatever, you know. So that's um, how much they cost. That type of Les Paul, yeah, probably. Um, Holy hell! A, a, like a, the description he gives, it's it's a high end version of Les Paul. Now there's cheaper Les Pauls, um, but it's it's in it's in between. Generally speaking, if you're talking a true Les Paul, somewhere between a thousand to two thousand, sometimes more, depending on when they were made and whatnot. Because I feel like he dropped a year on that one too. I don't remember what year he said, but that might put it up closer to like five to ten thousand, um, depending on again the guitar. Um, but yeah, look, Gibson Les Pauls are like among the higher priced guitars. Um, but so that's my first thing. The other thing I do wish, um, that the band continues and I'm glad, but I, I kind of wish that they had brought Sam back in. Um, or at least that we saw something like you said that they didn't sever the relationship, them having coffee, them having donuts or the best thing to me, the best scene to end with would be Quentin walking into Sam's music shop with a box of donuts and a coffee, you know, like how he walked yeah. onto the boat. Um, I would have liked to have seen that to cause I, I don't believe that Quentin would abandon Sam after, like, especially after him giving him the guitar and, and telling him to keep playing um, and, and encouraging him. Because he, he did, I love when he tells him, he's like, I thought when when I played with you that first night, it felt like I was getting to know my son more. But I realize now that I was getting to know you and how great of a person you are. And I wish I knew exactly what he said, but it's something along those lines. And I, it was powerful. It was, it was sappy. But it's the sappy that I connect with. Um, again, it's that surrogate father type thing, you know. He, his son is gone. His son did something awful. Here is this kid who's a great kid who has had struggles and has turned those struggles into positives. He makes himself work harder because of the struggles he had as a kid. You see him hand a wad of money to his what looks like a prostitute but turns out to be his mother. Um, that was a wad of money. Like, that was a fat stack of bills. And he works at a yeah. donut shop. So he is doing everything in his power to not be a failure and that's inspiring that's powerful 
And for the most part, I thought this movie did a really great job with all of the story elements and the visuals. I thought William H. Macy, even as the bartender, um, was pretty cool. And I want to throw a quick shout out to uh, Kate Micucci, is a, a stand-up comedian. She's one half of Garfunkel and Oates, which is a comedic musical act. Um, and she's on a bunch of stuff. She's been on Bang- Big Bang Theory. She's on an episode of How I Met Your Mother. Um, she had a recurring role in Big Bang Theory as Raj's girlfriend for a little bit. Um, she's a regular on Douglas movies. Um, she's in a lot of stuff that I am aware of. And she is the uh, the opening act that we see at the bar when Sam goes there with the guys from work. And she's playing the song um, I'm Not a Whore, I think is the song. Uh, oh, God. That's... Uh... I found it endearing and hilarious because I like her. I'm a fan of hers. Um, she's also in the Mike Birbiglia film from last year, Don't Think Twice, which I think is still on Netflix and highly recommend if you haven't seen it, both you, Corey, and the listeners, um, to check that movie out. Support Mike Birbiglia. He is a very great um, comedian and a very well, uh, very, very solid uh, director. This is the second directing uh, film um, and he co-stars in. Keegan-Michael Key is in it as well as Jillian Bell from... Um, I think it's Jillian. No, not Jillian Bell. Um, crap. Uh, Bria from Community. I cannot think of her name. Jillian Anderson? Is that No, that's not right either. I can't think of her name, but she's in it, and she's great um, in that movie too. But I digress. Um, let's get... Is there anything else, Corey, before we get to our uh, rating? No. All right. Um, I like this movie quite a bit. I'm giving it the Not Quite Golden Pony Boy rating, um, and I'm going to give the music a, a must-listen rating, which I've never done before, but let's do that. Must-listen um, rating for the soundtrack from this film. Corey, what are your thoughts? I'm going to go with must-see film. Oh, wow. Okay, great. So you liked it way more than you thought you were going to. Yeah, I and I'm not kidding. <laughs> I cried a lot, and I was kind of mad that you picked this, but not really. <laughs> um, you make me watch movies that make me cry a lot. It happens often. Um, On but the I side, just no dogs uh, died in this movie. <laughs> word, word. Um, I have had a hard time watching a lot of Anton Yelchin's performances since he has passed. This is a common thing with me. Um, but I really liked this and I really also liked Billy Crudup in this film. I really liked the character because I honestly feel like when tragedies happen like that, that there are so many people that are forgotten and that other people forget that they are human too. And that they're all, also grieving and they have their own issues to deal with and you know that are attached to it um so i really liked that they that uh william h macy looked at that side of it because we don't Mm -hmm. often get that side of the story yeah um and i some of the songs at the beginning i was like oh my god this is so cheesy but then when like the whole band got into it and they were like playing them holy heck the music is good Mm um i yeah i really enjoyed it i i i found it hard to not give it the must see but i do think there's um the selena gomez flaw being the biggest um for me and enough to make me to to i could see i could see this not working for everyone i think this movie works really well for both of us uh because we're such music lovers um, and we're saps and yeah ultimately and it, it has <laughs> two amazing performances though from billy crudup and from anton yelchin um, and again, it is a tragedy that he's gone. Um, Billy Crudup is becoming one of my favorite actors, and I I kind of feel bad that he wasn't already, um, because again, like when I look at his filmography, I'm like I've seen so many of these movies and didn't even realize he was in all of those right. movies. Um, and even so, when when I signed up to do his uh, the the Q and A with Brendan um, at the Florida Film Festival this year, 
I kind of didn't know who he was. Like I, I knew the name and I knew he was in 20th Century Women, which I had just seen. But like I didn't realize how much I'd seen with him in it. And during the q and I was like, oh, my God, I've seen all the, I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie. I, I didn't know he was in Alien Covenant. That wasn't out yet at the time. Um, you should have had a bell. And every time. Yeah, I'm sure. Just like, ding, ding, um, ding. Been, been kicked, kicked out. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, all right. So that's our that's our review for Rudderless. Um, our next episode, episode 26, Corey is going to be picking the movie for that one. And what is it, Corey? I hope you looked into it to make sure that it's the American version, but I chose Funny Games. I did do that. Because, it, see, John is definitely the one in this duo that is on the on his game all the time. Um, I want you to see this movie. I think that we've talked about it enough. Hey, that mutual friend Brendan is the one who suggested this to me when I still lived in Florida, uh, a while before I left Florida. So um, I think that this one's going to gonna surprise you so if you're new to movie club if this happens to be the first episode that you're listening and um you're not exactly sure what this podcast does the idea is uh we we pick a movie um it's got to be something that one of us has either never seen or that we both haven't seen much like maybe we've only seen it once or like the movie seven which eventually is going to be an episode of this podcast i saw when i was like 12 or 13 or something like that and haven't seen it since, and it's a movie I still remember a lot of the scenes, but I really want to rewatch it, especially as I've become a very big David Fincher fan, which, by the way, little bit of movie news, World War Z 2, David Fincher is supposed to be directing, and that excites me a lot. Um, that said, um, this is a movie I've never seen, uh, Funny Games, and so what we want is the audience, our listeners, to also watch the movie before we do our episode next week, and we would love for you to tweet at us or email us or comment on this post for this episode. Um, your review, your micro review, your comments on um, the movie Funny Games from 2007, according to this, um, and that stars Naomi Watts, Tim Roth, Michael Pitt, and there's one other dude, right? Um, Braden Corby, I think. Oh, I don't know who that is. Oh man, it's not loading. Uh, come on, there you go. Yeah, Braden, Braden Corbet or Corbett, if it's oh Corbett, I if think you announced the team. Oh, oh, and he. Just, I think, last year made his directorial debut or was going to be making it, and I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but, um, hmm. yeah. Well, I love Tim Roth. I love all the people I'm in this movie, actually. Um, I like Naomi Watts, but I, I think you're a bigger fan than I um, with her. Uh, and Michael Pitt. Um, now, this movie does, uh, It's it's got to be warned, this will be an explicit uh, podcast as the the content alone from my understanding of what this movie is about is twisted and hard to watch. So be warned ahead of time um, and not to promote this company, but it, this film is available on HBO. So if you have access to HBO, HBO go or HBO now uh, you can watch this movie and we would love to hear your thoughts. You can tweet at me at Burke reviews or at Corey at Corey, our star to ours on the end. And you can also find us on Instagram and you can find, um, you can find our email addresses on our website. There will be a link on this episode where you can just click it and email me. Um, but you can also email Corey. It's basically John Burke at Burke reviews or Corey star, or is it Corey, our star at our star, Corey, our star at Burke reviews.com. Um, and you can always just leave a comment. Like if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, or if you're listening to this on from our website, you can leave a comment right there um, with your review for our next episode with the chance that we will share your review on the next episode. Um, we will be using hashtag MC Funny Games for Movie Club Funny Games. And um, you can use that hashtag on Twitter as well as a way for us to kind of track what, what's being said. 
Um, we would love to read your review or your thoughts of funny games on the episode next week. So if you don't do be so, shy, please don't be shy. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we know there's people listening. We just need to hear from you guys. Um, we'll probably keep doing this anyways, though. Let's yeah. be real. Well, because the, one of the reasons that we started this type of podcast is to push ourselves to watch these movies um, that we've never seen. Now, some of the ones we've done have been kind of random, like uh, a lot of the Netflix originals, Small Crimes, um, Fundamentals of Caring, and then the really disappointing uh, distortion, a social media story. Those have not been on our watch list ahead of time, um, but they they seem like they were movies worth giving a shot, although distortion was not. Um, if you listen to that review, we were very harsh about that particular film, but um, we have lots of movies that we want to see, some that we have been told we must see, and others that we just have an interest in. Maybe it's an actor, director, or something like that. Like Krisha that I watched today could have been a movie club episode for sure because it was the director from a film that I really recently enjoyed, and so I wanted to see it, but I couldn't wait any longer, so I just went ahead and watched it. But um, this, this podcast helps us to watch these movies that we wanted to see and for some reason haven't. Rudderless is a really great example. It's got two of our favorite... Well, Anton Yelchin is definitely one of our, both of our favorites, but Billy Crudup is becoming one of my favorite actors, and I'm really glad I finally watched this movie. <laughs> um, I was getting really mixed up, but we have been doing this for half a year now. I guess so, yeah. Wow, 20, we're 25 episodes in, so yep, just, I guess oh, technically... I uh, next week, next week will be twenty six. Oh shoot! So. Sorry. No, no. Uh, so that's funny games, and so yeah, funny games will be our halfway to a year of movie and club. I know that we mentioned the actors, but this is definitely the American version. Um, there is also the uh, writer director also released a um, version ten years before. Oh wow! So yeah. we're definitely talking about the American version. <laughs> yes, uh, two thousand seven, um, and that's interesting that it's the same writer director, uh, Michael Haneke. <laughs> I guess is how you say that, Haneke. Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, uh, German director. It looks like. Um, I'm intrigued uh, to see what this is. I've heard about it. Um, it was on one of our episodes, way back when from Top Five Movies. I don't remember what the subject was that you had this movie on your list, but um, yeah, I'm ready to I'm ready to watch it, even though I'm a little a little afraid of what it's gonna be. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Corey, thank you for giving up your Friday evening. Um, listeners, we'll be back next week with the Funny Games episode. Our top five movies this week is top five car chases in honor of Baby Driver, the movie that I am so excited to go see this week. Um, so uh, check out our new top five. Uh, check out our previous episodes. They're all available on our stream. If you're on our, uh, subscribing to your favorite podcast app, I recommend Pocket Cast. Again, not a sponsor. Um, I really need to get better about not giving free advertisement, but... Until then, uh, Corey, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, guys. See you later. Peace. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs> <laughs>